All right, thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell for notifications. Comment down below and upvote the video itself. Also, join our subtext community where, you know, we kind of feed you inside information. You don't have to camp, camp out on a message board. You can just tune that, and whenever we hear something, you'll hear something first. Also, we're taking viewer mail questions off of the subtext. You can join there and do that because it's the one and only way to conversate with the show. I'm here with Pratt Rogers. Um, Pratt, big couple of weeks of recruiting for the Ole Miss Rebels. Gosh, man, no kidding. Appreciate you having me on today, Stephen. It has been a whirlwind recently uh, over the last, gosh, probably especially 48 hours, but the last two weeks as a whole, no doubt. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I saw on Twitter yesterday that Cam Franklin is supposed to be on campus today. The other Mississippi nice. five, yeah, the other Mississippi five-star Jamonte Waller will be at South Carolina so we're starting to see some activity with spring practice happening all over the place. I honestly don't know if South Carolina is anybody to worry about at this point, but Waller, I think Waller is going to be in a good shape for Ole Miss anyway. But having Cam Franklin on campus, that's a pretty big deal. Well, it's a big deal in, in itself, but it's also a big deal based off the fact of the amount of really kind of blue chip, high – quality recruits that have been on campus recently especially within we have we had a huge recruiting weekend this weekend over the last probably gosh i'd say 72 hours has been just a lot of big names uh of guys truly you know uh nationally sought recruits landed on the Ole Miss campus, taking interviews with media, talking about having a great time in Oxford. So, and that's been really exciting. I think it's a, a really big boost for momentum for the fan base and uh, awesome. Yeah, and I imagine um, the next couple of weeks will be pretty busy for like, um, I think Walker McAllister's in recruiting and Caleb um, Kelvin Bolden is in recruiting. So I imagine they're going to be pretty much stuffed to the gills for the next couple of weeks because it looks like players are just going to come out. Yep, no doubt. And that's kind of, Stephen, a little bit about a little bit what we've seen. I mean, if you and I touch base off air probably about uh, five or six of these guys that are really going to keep Ole Miss busy, um, whether it's Kylan Fox, Kayla Modem, uh, Nareel White. Uh, we talked about um, Cam Franklin or Cameron Beavers. I mean, a lot of these guys should be keeping our recruiting staff really, really busy over the next uh, over the next recruiting cycle. Yeah, and we have so many names that are popping up that you know everybody's going to wonder where Ole Miss stands on it. But the player I think Ole Miss might be further along than any of them is Caleb Odom. The tight end out of, I think, Georgia. Um, he is tight with Damon Williams. I, I know that. Um, and yep. I think I think that recruitment and that combination could be quite beneficial for Ole Miss moving forward. Yep, he has been, I mean, he is a big deal. I mean, 24-7 sports has him as, I think, like the 68th best prospect in the nation. He's 6'5". 
215 pounds. And like you mentioned from Georgia, being buddies with Williams only gives us a great end with him. He's a big time basketball player. I think that if I remember correctly, he's like um, region six, five, a first team, all state or something. I can't remember the specifics, but obviously an excellent basketball player, hyper athletic guy, especially for his size. And I think Ole Miss is kind of he's you know playing tight end in high school, but I think Ole Miss kind of wants him to focus on receiver. I think that speaks a lot to him, um, and you know I think that kind of puts us in a good position too, and bolsters our uh, our ability to land the guy. You know, people always talk about like Ole Miss and having a type of wide receiver, but that is absolutely the case. It is like. 10 or 11 years at this point of just players come out that's the exact same body type, just one after the other. I guess, what, what did it start with Dante Moncrief? Was that the start? Or was it even go back further to like Shea Hodge? Was that the start? I can't, I didn't even remember Moncrief lining up at tight, being recruited at tight end, to be honest with you. No, Steve. no, no, Is no. That... Just the bigger body type wide receiver, not a tight end. Oh, I'm sorry. Gotcha. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, we've always had uh, mm. big bodied receivers. I can't even remember how long since I've been keeping up with Ole Miss football, I feel like. Uh, no, Kiffin definitely has um, emphasized that as well. Um, I know we've talked about um, – I feel like every podcast I plug Braylon Birdside, but he's another big receiver in the state that we uh, that we're chasing as well. So, yeah, like I said, um, Odom currently kind of tied in, but I think he'd be a great receiver fit too. Yeah, and inside the state of Mississippi, before we change the subject a little bit, um, would you take? Let's see, Cam Beavers. Um, we're going to keep Waller and Franklin out of this conversation. Braylon Burnside or, let's see, Nareel White. Wh- which one would be your first take? Man, that's, that's such a great problem to have, Stephen. Uh, <laughs> I'd probably take Cam, Cameron Beavers just strictly because he's on defense and uh, he's on the defensive line. He's 6'4", 320 pounds from Bay Springs and – high four star and I think he's leaning Ole Miss too which almost makes you want him even more that he's he's giving you the warm and fuzzies about your program you know um so I would probably say Cameron Beavers uh because I think we've got a realistic shot with him I think that um it's at a position of need as well and he's just a big guy so I think that he could really kind of be like that that run stopper especially if we uh, and if uh, Golding switches up these defenses, as we've kind of discussed, I think he could be a really big body that just gets in there and does works uh, on the off- uh, opposing offenses. Yeah, and I'm not saying what I'm about to say um, directly. So I'm going to explain myself a little bit. But I do think Cody Pruitt being from Bay Springs helps out tremendously with him. And it isn't with the prospect himself because he was like eight years old when Cody Pruitt played football here. But the people in and around Bay Springs, heck, um, my sister is married to like the brother of the mayor in Bay Springs. You know, I mean, it's a small town going on. But those people, him going to Ole Miss and starring at Ole Miss and being on that player, that was a big thing for Cody Pruitt at Ole Miss. Now, the older people that watched that and got 
that swell of pride, they're probably going to look, yeah, hey, Ole Miss, if they're interested in you, I mean, he was good for Cody. And I, I just think that Ole Miss is probably in a good shape as far as in-state schools for Cameron Beavers. No doubt. No doubt. I agree with that. And I, I, I really honestly would just like to see the emphasis that Kiffin has put on Mississippi. You know, when Matt Luke was doing his whole Mississippi made thing, I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. I thought we'd, you know, be a terrible football program if we're only, if we're not recruiting at a national level like Kiffin is. And that proved to be the case pretty much. Uh, um, but those players went to the sugar bowl. That is true. That is true. But mm. we, uh, you know, I will give, I will give Matt Luke credit for, uh, Matt Corral. Um, but you know, I, um, there was a lot of guys that we just took as takes, you know, because they were from Mississippi and, um, that probably had no business being in a D one program and Kiffin up until now, you know, has really not recruited the state near as hard as other people have. And um, I think he's kind of coming around to saying, look, 2024 may be an outlier with the amount of talent that Mississippi has in the recruiting um, world in uh, the 24 class. But Kiffin is really dialed in and focused on that. And I think even, Stephen, one of your mentions was could, you know, Ole Miss line up uh, a straight defensive line out of Mississippi. You know, I think people are – you know, that bullish on um, the defensive prospects coming out of the state this year. So it's encouraging. I'm encouraged. And it's it's nice to have players coming out of our state that every other team in the nation wants. You know, um, when I had Kelvin on the show and I asked him about it specifically and he didn't really answer the question, but I'm still pretty sure about what I'm about to say to everybody. I think that Lane Kiffin has a list of 60 or 70 players with just a red line underneath it. If you are above that line and you decide you want to come to Ole Miss, he will take you. He is not going to go below that line. And if they don't have enough bodies above that line, then they hit the transfer portal hard. Yeah. So yeah. I, th- I, th- I think Mississippi just having so many SEC-level players it's going to create a mirage that something has changed. I don't think anything has changed. I think they're recruiting exactly the same way. You could be 100% right. The talent could be an outlier this year, but um, it is encouraging, as always, to see that Kiffin's chasing the out-of-state guys, too. I know we mentioned Odom from Georgia. Um, We briefly mentioned Kylan Fox from Georgia as well. He actually went to the same high school as Robert Kimdichie at uh, Grayson. Grayson. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's encouraging to see those guys on campus this weekend and kind of what Kiffin's been able to do on the recruiting trail. Yeah, and we mentioned Damon Williams because he is obviously the quarterback that they have recruited as well. So we'll see exactly what he has. Well, spring practice is underway. Right now, it seems like the consensus of everybody is Jackson Dart is pretty handily winning this quarterback competition right now. Maybe Walker Howard is the second guy. They're kind of load managing Spencer Sanders. What is your take in that room right now? I 
I think we all, I think every Ole Miss fan in the world has the exact same read on the QB situation right now as what you just discussed. I mean, it was always weird for Sanders to come in. It's still kind of weird, I guess. But uh, I think that that I think Dart's the guy. I don't think that's changed, and I think you know Howard is showing off that he's the future of the program and. I hope we put in some packages for Spencer Sanders. I mean, that's truly how I feel with it right now because I think he's too good of an athlete to either transfer or sit on the bench, which he won't do. But, um, yeah, I just hope we come up with some creative packages for, for all those guys. Honestly, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, I hear people all the time just in my DMs, like if they see Walker Howard, and I'll just randomly get a DM from time to time. is like, he made a pass today that was Eli level. And... It, it, it is weird how many people are saying that on on yeah. social media. Yeah, and and that right there makes me excited. I did a video a couple of days ago. I was like, hey, party like it's 1999. And my whole point was Ole Miss fans, just as the fan base, this isn't necessarily Lane or anybody like that, but just the fan base, they need to look at Jackson Dart in a similar way to Romero Miller. Now, people need to understand that I respect the heck out of Romero Miller. He goes back and forth and alternates with Matt, Matt Corral whenever I do my top five list. I mean, he's so important for the modern future of the Ole Miss football program. So taking him and comparing him to Jackson is not an insult to Jackson at all. But mm-hmm. you can also, while you're doing that, spend on the young guy whenever we had Eli floating around early and develop that quarterback. People need to remember Eli's freshman year or redshirt freshman year, he was like 6-16 before the Music City Bowl for like 80 yards and an interception. So this year would give him a chance to kind of break in some mop-up work, some game action to get him ready to go. Because ideally, like I said, I would like Jackson Dart to throw for 3,500 yards, 30 touchdowns, six interceptions, and go to the NFL and be a first-round pick and then hand the ball in 2024 to Walker Howard. That's what I want to happen. I think that's what everybody wants to happen, Stephen. I'm sitting here laughing that there was ever a scenario where Eli Manning was 6-for-16 with 80 Mm. yards and a pick, you know. But um, anyway, yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that uh, everybody's extremely excited about Walker Howard. It almost feels like last year when everybody was just – you know, right when Dart committed, the euphoria with him being on campus. Uh, wow, he's got a next level talent. He's he is a next level talent. Mm-hmm. You know, and even though there was that quote unquote QB battle, everybody was just so excited about Dart and Trig. It didn't even matter. That's honestly how I feel about Walker Howard. Is everybody is so excited about what he brings to the table and his potential? that everything else is kind of noise, honestly. This offense has a chance to be so talented. I mean, just explosive. Whenever you look out there, if Chris Marshall can develop and be that guy, because whenever he's at his best, he's a Laquan Treadwell clone. He's a physical wide receiver. Then you got Trey Harris, who was a Conference USA all-conference player. To go with the Mississippi wideouts, Braylon Brown, I hear, looks great. I'm picking Jeremiah Dillon as like maybe that pick to click in the fall that we're not expecting. And then the tight end room, there's depth there to the point where 
um, Casey Kelly decided, hey, well, it's not. There's nothing for me here, and because of that, I'm like, this offense is almost just don't screw it up. That that's at the point we are offensively. Yeah, you feel like you're handing Dart the keys to the Lamborghini and just saying, hey, man, go 200 miles an hour. Just don't wreck it, please. You know, yeah. that's truly how you feel about this offense. Now, the flip side of it is the defensive side. I've, I have said all year that the defense I expect to be clunky, year one under Pete Golding. We don't have the personnel fit for the exact positions where we do. They're younger type players. And because of that, we might see something where the defense is ranked 60th to 80th. Um, but maybe they get off the field by forcing a long yardage here or there or turn the ball over in the red zone and do stuff like that. I think they will be pretty good at that, but they might look like more of a bend but don't break because of the clunkiness of the fits. Honestly, I'd just love to see some gang tackle defense. Honestly, Steven, I'm not asking for some complex scheme. I'm not asking for – you know, somebody to be a first round NFL pick next year. I would just love to see effort and gang tackling. And I think we, we have a good season. You know, I don't, I don't think that's a whole lot to ask, but I think that's kind of the, the mentality that Golding brings. Cause every report from everybody has said how hands on he, uh, hands on he is as a, um, um, a, a coach, um, from the, I mean, getting in players' faces, you know, not in a negative way necessarily, but really emphasizing how to teach the position, you know? Well, I mean, he was under Nick Saban for five years. Some of that is going to rub off. Nick he Saban probably has is, a lot of built-up anger being under Saban for so long. Yeah, I would, yeah. Yeah, Saban is known for while he was at Miami coaching in the NFL, he actually made a player cry. I mean, I mean, so, yeah, I expect it's going to be hands-on. It's going to be business. Um, I'm looking forward to what Pete Golding can bring to the table. There's, this should be an exciting year, but like I said, do not expect this defense to be a top-10 defense. If you do that, you have set your expectations up to fail, period. And it's just no getting around that. Yep, no doubt. I agree with you completely. All right, before we get out of here, what do you think Lane Kiffin's post-spring tone will be? I think that he's probably frustrated at depth at certain positions, but knows that there's a lot of potential on this team is how I would kind of sum it up. Um, I think the talent is there, especially on offense. Um, I think we're missing depth that, you know, basically every defensive position, honestly. And, um, I think there's going to be times where he's frustrated with that. He even mentioned something about being about depth uh, with the cornerbacks because we've got some guys banged up right now in the secondary. Um, but um, that's kind of the vibe I expect to hear from him. What about you? I, I think it's going to be a lot of, hey, let's just get to the fall. And it's like nothing really gets decided from spring practice. Yeah. Let's get to fall and see what it looks like. Because remember – in the fall, Centarian gets on campus. Cedric Johnson will be back. There's some players that will actually help that defense out quite a bit. So, I mean, once fall hits, I mean, it's, it's going to be legit. I, I, I'm excited for it, honestly. 
It's uh, it's hard to show what you're made of on the defense defensive side of the ball in spring practice when you're not all you're all you're doing is wrapping up. You're not actually going through with the tackle. You're, it's basically two hand touch at that point. It's hard to show what you're capable of. Um, so there isn't necessarily a lot to be learned in spring what? practice. You can make the argument for there. There, there's one thing that I disagree with, and. You can't quite actually learn from a thud practice um, that some people view as a two, two-hand touch type thing. Um, with a thud practice, you have to hit them. You have to have your position in the right place because they can see where you hit that person, whether or not they would assume a tackle would be broken. But you can understand it's thud from the waist up. You're just not going to the ground. You're still hitting. The, you're still lining up. You're still pursuing the ball. You're just, under Lane Kiffin, who was real similar to Ed Orgeron, and I was there under Ed Orgeron, so I'm very familiar with this thing. Practices were hard. They were intentionally hard. And just because it's listed at thud, there's still contact happening. So whenever people say it's two-hand touch, they're, they, they're a little bit off base. That's definitely an exaggeration. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, because on camera, you can tell whether or not that defense ha, defenseman had a chance to make a solid tackle or if he was just throwing his arms out to be. You, you can tell all that. So whenever they're looking at film, they can actually break that down because honestly, if you couldn't, there would be tackling to the ground in spring because there are p- things that they do need to understand and they do need to have going. Like I said, this is not really a you thing. I'm just hearing all the time. It's like, oh, they're doing two-hand touch, and the people were like exaggerating it down, but th- that isn't exactly the case, because if it wasn't effective, they wouldn't do it that way. Well, look, I'm quite frankly, I'm happy we're, we're doing it the way we are. I don't want Quinshawn Judkins getting hit, you know, in spring practice. He, I, I don't want him being touched. I don't even want him running the ball in spring practice. Like, yeah, I, I, he's great. Leave him alone until the first game of the season, you know. Yeah, just don't go to the ground because going to the grounds where leg injuries and things like that happens. But the upper body, they honestly, they have to develop a little bit of an upper body callus. So there has to be some hitting up top to get used to doing it just to make sure it's not so sensitive because – if you play, you played football, you you can understand that even though it's thud, it can hurt. So, I mean, it, it is what it is. Like I said, I'm not going to rail on it too much. But I think this team is in a position to grow defensively. I'm interested to see what the scrimmage is going to look like next week, what the grow ball is going to look the week after that. And I think Lane Kiffin is going to get in the pro, post-spring press conference and just go, yeah, we're done, you yeah. know. I believe it. Um, Kiffin's not always a man to elaborate on a whole lot of man of very few words sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, thanks again for making the Locked On Ole podcast your first listen every day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. It has everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. Plus, you get to hear from big-name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. It's Locked On College Basketball. There's also a Locked On Women's College Basketball if you're interested in that as well. It's available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Pratt, thank you very much for joining us tonight. It's always fun just to sit here and talk ball, man. Oh, man, I'm so excited. I I, <laughs> I love that. set my uh, makes my day uh, just talking on this football with you, man. So I enjoy it. Yeah, it, it's really cool. Who would have known that my little 
thing that I did with Ole Miss every day, just these short form videos would be successful. Who would have thunk it, right? Put on a good platform. We love it. All right, man. Thanks a lot, Pratt. We'll see you next week. See ya. Bye. All right. Bye.